Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Okay, hi everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today I'm chatting with Talon Gaucher, the Peace Forage Seed Association Coordinator, and we'll be talking about pest monitoring and growth regulators and the Peace Forage seed industry. But before we get into all the fun stuff, Talon, would you like to introduce yourself and tell me a bit about how you got started with the Forage Seed Association? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, so I uh, live just outside of Dawson Creek, BC, actually, and I uh, run a farm with my husband uh, and our three kids. So we have a cow-calf operation, um, mostly commercials, and, and just actually starting to get into a few purebreds. Um, I got started with the Forge Seed Association in 2010. I actually started as a summer student and I, I was really looking for a job. I'd spent quite a bit of time traveling and going to university. And so my now husband uh, at the time said, you know, it would be really nice if you came home during the summer. So he, uh, so I, I called the Ministry of Agriculture office begging for them to find me a job in agriculture. And I got a call from Sandra Burton and uh, she hired me to basically pick weeds all summer for our variety trials. And uh, and then I just kept coming back. And then when I finished university, they they offered me a job. So so that's where how I got into this. Awesome. So what does the Peace Forage Association do? So uh, we are a nonprofit research and extension association, and basically just catering directly to uh, grass, turf, and legume seed producers. So basically growing the, you know, the crops that we kind of most commonly grow in the piece uh, for forage seed production. Uh, for So for turf, it would be you know, creeping red fescue, perennial ryegrass, uh, bluegrass, anything like that. And then for grasses, it would be timothy and bromes and wheat grasses. Uh, and then for, you know, some legumes, we do a lot of clover production, some alfalfa production and, and things like that. Cool. So, so, yeah, so everything that we kind of do is just catered around. It's a really niche industry. There is not, you know, it, there's not a lot of research done on it by companies or at higher levels. So we do, we have to kind of do a lot of our own stuff. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what we focus on. Interesting. So before we get right into the projects and stuff that you've done, I know the Peace Country itself produces a lot of forage seed. So can you tell me a bit about how the forage seed industry works in general? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, obviously we grow the seed that then, you know, uh, seeded later for pasture mixes or hay fields and then also the turf stuff you know gets sent off and that's what comes in your lawn mixes or when you go to a golf course and it's nice and beautiful they manicured um, that's the seed that we are growing uh, about 80 percent of the seed that's grown in the piece is actually exported outside mm. of Canada 
So a lot of it goes to the US as our main importer of forage seed. Um, a lot goes to China and then to Europe. Those are kind of the three big countries uh, that we export to. Uh, and we do a lot of turf production. So uh, we we can grow we can grow fescue really really well and so that is a, a large portion of the of what's grown so uh, we actually have a levy and we use that data to kind of follow along with what you know crops are being sold and and stuff like that so you know in the last uh, when you look at our levy data about 70% of the of our levy comes from fescue and then Timothy would be the next biggest crop that's grown here. Uh, the bromes and the wheat grasses are kind of neck and neck. And then actually quite you know, recently, we've actually started to grow a lot more perennial ryegrass. Mm -hmm. um, and legumes make up a pretty small proportion of our, they're kind of some, they're 5% or less of the production in the piece. And uh, so, so anyway, we basically, we are, uh, growing it and we export a large chunk of it then the rest does go get sold um, there's seed companies in the piece that that do take that seed then and retail it to you know local producers who are looking for it for pasture hay, hay mixes right that makes sense <clears throat> so I know we touched a little bit in school on like the the certified seed industry for like uh, cash crops and I know that a big part of seed production is keeping them <laughs> keeping them clean and free of weeds and that sort of stuff so when you're growing forages a lot of the time you're dealing with more perennials and, and grasses and stuff so what sort of plants are often weedy in forage crops what are you really looking out for yeah so that and that's really true so and even when just kind of to backtrack to actually a lot of the forage seed that we produce is actually common which you would think then well that's odd in a sense but i i there's not usually an issue with that because to be a forage seed producer you have to be extremely meticulous um because it is a perennial and so you have to be you know make sure that your fields are very clean and and things like that to in order to grow a good forage seed crop so even though predominantly a lot of our production is common it's actually really, you know, grown with a really high amount of um, care and, and they, they take a lot of like pride into their management and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. the weeds and stuff, there are weeds and we're really lucky in the piece because, you know, we, we think we have a lot of weeds here, but in comparison to a lot of other growing areas, um, like in the peace country is actually one of the top forage seed production areas in the world. We're in the top five. And um, wow. yeah, which is is pretty cool. Um, Oregon is number one, but they have in, insane amounts of moisture and therefore that comes along with insane amounts of weed problems and things that they have to tackle. Um, and so we've been really, really lucky, but we are starting to get some issues. Annual bluegrass is becoming a huge issue for us. Um, it's extremely hard to get out of a forage seed crop and it grows, um, it, you can't really, like you can't spray your grass out of a grass. And so that mm -hmm. becomes extremely challenging to manage. And so when I talked about how forage seed producers are really good managers, it's because there's, you will actually see like a lot of guys out hand roguing fields um, in order to get on top of weed issues and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and then, so that comes into a lot of their management practices, you know, ensuring that they've got extremely clean fields when they 
when they seed down a grass crop because it becomes really challenging afterwards to you know take care of weed issues with herbicides and stuff like that later on um, if you if that happens not to say it doesn't and there are options in different like certain crops we do have herbicide options for certain things but uh, not a lot not compared to other crops right that makes sense so we do all of our own um, herbicide testing because uh, when a company comes out with a chemical, they don't, because we have such a niche industry, typically they don't test those products on forage seed crops. Oh. So that's actually a, a big part. That's, that's like a huge part of um, Calvin Yoder's job. And so we, we actually have uh, hire him in part with Sarda Egg Research, and but he does all of the field work and especially in the herbicides and the growth regulators. Um, so he tests all the products that come out that have any potential to be good on a, or safe on a forage seed crop. Um, and then so he goes through all the testing and then we actually submit those if if we have a product that you know isn't isn't showing damage or minimal damage and, and ha provides good control and, and stuff like that, he will submit all that data to the um, Prairie Pesticide Minor Use Consortium. And we will get that product uh, with a minor use label. So then it's actually labeled for use on forage seed crops. Right, that makes sense. And one more question on kind of growing forage seed before we get into more project stuff. But what sort of quality factors do you consider when you're raising forages for seed? Like I know with something like wheat, you're a big measurement is protein or seed weight or oil content in uh, canola, but what are you looking for in forage seeds? So some of those we don't do um, so much with like protein contents, but we do do seed weight um, and stuff like that, which is is obviously a lot different because our seeds are so much smaller than than annual or grain crops are. So, but we do do all of the work. Like even we we run variety trials, and so where we're testing, you know, new varieties against because a lot of the varieties that we grow in the piece are actually from the 60s and were, de were uh, developed right at AFC Beaver Lodge. And so those are still commonly a lot of the varieties that we use. And so we, we're always testing new varieties against those. Um, and so when we do that, you know, we're, we're always measuring, um, you know, we take yield samples and then we do uh, germinations and thousand kernel counts and, and stuff like that just to see, you know, the difference in, in comparison to what we already have and then you know how does that relate on in terms of vigor and and you know and then we also can watch you know do those do those crops overwinter well in our climate um you know or do they winter kill easily uh, we have issues with like we don't have any new um varieties of like tall fescue or orchard grass than you know the ones that came out a long time ago um because there's lots of issues with winter hardiness in those crops and uh, in a forage seed stand, you mm -hmm. typically would like to have it um, stay for one or two production years. And so, um, and sometimes like Timothy even more than that, or wheatgrasses. And so you want to make sure that obviously that that crop isn't going to die out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So we talked very briefly about um, the work you've done with Calvin Yoder about getting herbicides certified and that sort of stuff for use in uh, mm -hmm. forages. So, and 
But with herbicide resistance becoming more and more prevalent among a lot of our weedy species like wild oats and that sort of stuff, what are kind of the best practices for using herbicide in your seed forage crops? Yeah, absolutely. And we are definitely starting to get some herbicide resistance. Some um, narrow leaf hawksbeard is one that we actually do have some resistance. And last year, we were actually seeing some resistance to a sure two, in, uh, which is basically the only thing we have to get rid of foxtail barley and creeping red fescue. And uh, so we were starting to see some resistance to that last year. And uh, so we've been sending out samples and, and just to determine that if there actually is resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, best practices for using herbicides, obviously it's the same as, you know, other, other crops you would like to try and, and do, you know, a pre-seed burn off uh, to make sure that you are starting with a clean seed bed. You wanna use fields that don't have a history of being super weedy. Um, so, you know, Ford seed producers are typically picking their, you know, their their best fields if they can, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, that crop needs a year to establish. Uh, lots of times they will overseed an annual crop on top just to help. It's kind of like a divided in half, honestly, like some guys, you know, believe in, in seeding with a, a cover crop because when you need that cash flow in that year of establishment, um, it helps do, to combat some of the weed pressures that could happen and so on. But then some guys believe that in not seeding with a cover crop because, you know, they think that you get a better establishment if there's nothing competing with with the forage seed crop that's there, but then it is more challenging because it obviously leaves more uh, ability for weeds to kind of come in and try and take over in that first year. So, and there's really no right or wrong way to do it. It's just kind of what that, what's worked well for that producer and, and what they continue, you know, would believe and, and continue to do. Um, so, but you know, biggest things would be, you know, starting with a clean, mm -hmm. as clean a seed bed as, as possible. Lots of guys actually try to, they say that they can't get rid of fescue because fescue, it grows so well in this country that they'll try to spray their fescue out and go into an annual crop rotation. And then that fall, when they go to take their, when they take their annual crop off, the fescue is coming up underneath like, and it's rejuvenated and, and it's coming so good that they don't even bother taking it out. They just say, okay, well, this field will be fescue again next year, I guess, even if they, you know, they had planned for it to not be in fescue for <laughs> a few years. So that, that kind of, and, and the mm -hmm. fescue, like I said, we do a lot of turf production and those uh, varieties usually have a creeping root system, especially like the creeping red fescue. And, and that really helps to keep weed pressures down and so on. Calvin is always, anytime right. new, new products come out that could potentially, that have any potential, um, you know, we're always testing them and trying them. We've been doing that research for for years and years, and I don't see it ever not needing to do it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So to switch gears from, from the herbicide side of things to another kind of chemical, um, a, a set of trials I saw on your website that I'm really interested in is using growth regulators in forage crops. Um, so before we talk about the trials in particular, um, how do growth regulators work? 
Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, a practice that's really commonly used in, in other parts of the world. Um, growth regulators are used in Oregon and New Zealand and, and everywhere else that grows a lot of forage seed. And it's just one of those management practices that we just we hadn't haven't really tested in Canada. And it's it, I think it's been slow to come for everything because it's only just recently been registered in Canada on wheat. And so we were actually we've been doing research on growth regulators for my goodness, probably 10 years now. Um, and, you know, we're just getting to a point now where we're, we have enough data that we can start registering it on some of our forage seed crops. But the way that they work is, you know, plant growth regulators are, uh, it's a synthetic compound and, and it's meant to either stimulate or inhibit the hormonal activity of a plant. And, and that's meant to either, you know, promote or, or kind of like inhibit growth. And so, you know, the ones that we use, there's, there's two different ones that we use. They're trimexapeth ethyl or clomicot chloride. And so we've been doing research on those two specifically and combinations of them. And basically, you know, what it does is it inhibits the elongation um, between the nodes of a plant. And so what that does is we see if we have a lot of rain, um, we get a lot of lodging in our forage seed crops. And lodging can cause a lot of issues, especially if that crop is, so if it's tall and then it lodges over um, grasses and specifically are wind pollinated. So to get seed production, they need to be pollinated. Um, but, you know, unlike a legume where it's pollinated by a bee, our crop, grass crops are actually wind pollinated. So if that crop mm -hmm. lodges and lays over, then it's not going to get pollinated as well. And so what the, the growth regulator does is it keeps the crop shorter so that it won't fall over or lodge. And then it actually will pollinate. And so what you'll what we find what you find when you do research with that is that not only do you get like shorter crops but then you get better yield because more of the crop was able to be pollinated because it didn't lodge oh interesting yeah so that's kind of and like i said they use it they use it all over the world but it's it's a, a really new thing to canada and we were we've been doing work on it but we couldn't until it got registered on a big crop like wheat, we couldn't mm -hmm. put through a minor, because again, it has to be a minor use registration for us. And so we can't put, couldn't put through any minor use registrations until it became registered on, on a big crop. Right, that makes sense. So you've mentioned um, some grasses and stuff that you've tested, but what kinds of forages have you tested with growth regulators? and and what sort of stuff have you have you seen for results up here? Uh, it so we start when we first started. We actually started with the clovers because that was what it was was used on before. Because clovers, as you guys probably know, even in your forage trials, they can be extremely unruly, and <laughs> and it's really hard for even for the you know the bees, the honeybees, to even or the leafcutter bees uh, to get in and pollinate those flowers because the it's got such thick growth. And mm -hmm. so when we first started, we started using them on clovers. And then as time kind of went on, then we start switched over and started using them on our, our grass seed crops. So we had really good luck with them on clovers, um, worked really, really well, saw good yield results, um, saw 
you know, really, really good shortening of the crop and so on. Same thing happened with our, with our grass seed crops. The only thing that, the unfortunate thing is, is that the results are really variable. So mm. just because we're not the same as Oregon, Oregon knows they're going to get a lot of rain every year. And so yeah. they, you know, they just apply growth regulators. Like it's I, like, they just, they do it all the time because they know that it's wet. Whereas here, you know, the peace country is typically really, really wet, but not always. <laughs> so like last year was a really bad year to use a growth regulator, but you don't, mm -hmm. sometimes you don't know that when it, so the time when you need to apply is when it's at like the, I can't remember the exact node stage, but it's when the plant is really, really small. And so you apply it and then kind of hope that it's going to be wet afterwards. So, you know, and, and we've had really good results because we've had some really wet years. And so on the years where it was really wet, we had phenomenal results. Last yeah. year was not the case because <laughs> it was so dry. And I mean, last year was a big anomaly for us, but there was actually injuries and 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 like reduced yields from where the growth regulators were applied. But it was so hard to predict that we were going to have a year like we did last year. So so mm -hmm. it's not it's not one hundred percent, and we're still and we're still doing work on it. There's still questions that we have um, on it, and so we are doing a little bit of um, work to get it submitted. So for some minor use stuff, but we still have we still have quite a bit to go. Makes sense. So I guess we'll we'll change uh, topics again and talk pests for a minute. When you're talking forage seed, what's kind of first pest that comes to mind? What are some big big problem pests in forage seed production? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the biggest ones that for us have been obviously the red clover case bearer was was a big one that came in in 2008 or so. And it actually really, it kind of really decimated the red clover industry in the piece because, you know, we, we actually used to be huge growers of red clover. And then um, when that, when the pest came in, it, uh, you would get some seed yield in the first year, but then by the time that crop had been in for two years of seed production, uh, the the pest had basically taken away, like you'd have a beautiful stand of red clover and you'd go and harvest it for seed and there was nothing there. And so that has been a big, big issue for us. Um, lots, there are still some producers of red, fest, of red clover, sorry, but uh, they typically try to get their seed production just in that first year because there's no point in leaving it in for a second year. Um, and there's no good, we, we've still continued to monitor any products that come out. There's nothing that is out on the, um, you know, on the shelves, I guess, that we could even try to use as an insecticide to try and control it. Um, and because we have so much, you know, wild clover living in the ditches and in forage fields around, um, you know, it overwinters really, really well in our, in our climate. And so, and there's so many hosts for it that, um, you know, you can't even eradicate it by, you know, just doing crop rotations or something like that because they, it's just living in the ditch right beside your fields usually so that's that's been a really big big one for us um a new one that's come out that we've been monitoring pretty closely is european skipper and timothy 
and there was actually I know that uh, there was a big article done about it last year uh, for Sarda and stuff like that just because it's a it's a pretty blue butterfly that everybody sees flying around in the summertime and and that's actually the butterfly that it's it's European skipper in it and it's really detrimental to Timothy seed production. Hmm. So there are some control options for that. I'm not, I don't know exactly what they are, but I do know that there's, that we have information about that. And, and so, you know, if you're seeing a lot of pretty blue butterflies that you should be scouting your fields and, uh, <laughs> and your crops to see if you're getting a lot of damage. Uh, we monitor for something that else that's becoming a kind of a big issue for us now are clover weevils. So that is something that Jennifer's raised as a concern. Um, they're seeing a lot more uh, clover weevils come um, in fields. And so, so even though we don't do a lot of red clover seed production in the piece, we actually still do quite a bit of alcyc clover production. Okay. And so it's becoming, and so they don't really care whether it's red clover or alcyc clover, they will, they're present in both crops. And so it is something we're seeing more and more of. So they're, it, it, they've uh, kind of been, are wanting to do more, more work to see, you know, is it causing economic damages and, and so forth. Right. So, so yeah, those are some of the big ones that we monitor for. Um, other ones that we monitor, um, with is uh, cutworms, we you know we look at look for cutworms, uh, wireworms, and, and so on. In those are really detrimental, and those so those obviously live in the soil, but they can cause damage to the roots of the plants, which then can kill big chunk, big um, patches of the crop. And mm -hmm. so it's actually surprising how much damage they can do. So lots of times, if you're you know guys will be scouting their fields in the spring, looking for maybe winter kill and you'll see like these huge patches where actually wire worms or cutworms have come in and kind of decimated a big area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we do grasshopper surveys because grasshoppers obviously love forage and uh, so doing you know kind of monitoring those populations and they have patterns and and some species there's a few different species of grasshoppers that are present in the region and they behave um you know differently and so monitoring their populations and and so some of them will uh lay eggs and those eggs will hatch in a year or two from when they're actually laid so then you know we can kind of estimate and depending on you know conditions in the fall like was it conducive to egg laying did that did we see that happening quite a bit um when did moisture or weather patterns did that affect it and so then it kind of can predict in you know in two years we're going to have potentially a big you know grasshopper population because you know all these conditions were right for it and so forth so so we monitor that and uh, and go from there. So when we have two, uh, so Jennifer basically looks after uh, her team at Beaver Lodge, kind of looks after all of the Alberta piece. And because our, associ our association actually spans both sides of the province. And so we actually have a contractor on the BC side who uh, then actually looks after all of the BC piece. And uh, so he, and his program is very similar to Jennifer's. You know, she doesn't just look at forage seed crops. She she monitors annual crops and forage seed crops and everything too. So mm -hmm. his kind of actually, she she helped us build that program. And so he, he mirrors her and a lot of our stuff then just all goes to Beaver Lodge and gets ID'd and, and, uh, and looked at there. Cool. 
yeah, so it's another one that, you know, pests and herbicides and things like that, I don't think those are ongoing, that's ongoing work that we'll always be doing. And, and I feel like even though we're doing it, you know, for forage seed purposes, it's kind of cool because a lot of it is extremely relevant to forage production and, and things like that. So, you know, we're, you know, hopefully it's a benefit to both, to both. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's all, it's all good information to know if you're going to be growing any kind of forage, whether you're going to silage it or you're going to try and grow some seed off it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Talon. Now, is there anything we've missed that you'd like to mention before we, we sign off here? I don't think so. I think that that kind of is, is everything. And I really encourage, you know, people to kind of head to take a look at our website. Um, it can be found at uh, www.peaceforageseed.ca. And we have a lot of our research is on there. And, um, and if not, then you can always feel free to reach out to me. Um, and so, you know, whether that be over, you know, phone or email, um, I can be reached at coordinator at peaceforageseed.ca as well. And, um, I'd be happy to help people find anything that they're looking for or so forth. That's awesome. I will uh, put the link to your website down in the description of the podcast. And if you have any fact sheets to Talon that you'd like to, to send me links for, I can put those in the description as well. Okay. Yeah, I do. We actually do have quite a few fact sheets on our websites and, and things like that, that explain, you know, specifically even explaining exactly what growth regulators are and so on and and stuff like that so that would be would be great fantastic all right so thank you everybody for listening and uh if you're interested in any of the stuff we've sort of touched on uh there'll be more information in the description you can check out the the peace forage seed association for more info thanks again for joining me today talent thank you so much for having me Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!